Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a wonderful hour. This hour, we're going to talk about end times. My friend and mentor and Bible teacher, Jeff Redorn, is with us for the whole hour. And this is a topic that gets a lot of people engaged and gets them thinking. And for many, it's a, it can be even a little polarizing. But we're going to kind of do a view from 30,000 feet because we are going to go... Uh, cover quite a bit of material today, but we only have an hour, so I think we should just get started. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. Hey, hey, let's get started. Why should we study end times? Well, you know, it's interesting because when I started this uh, some 20 years ago, kind of studying Revelation and Daniel, Matthew 24, and all the different parts of Scripture that describe the end time, because it's really all over the Bible. You have to kind of scan the 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 depth of scripture to find all the pieces to put the pieces of God's plan for the end of the age together. Um there was a lot of interest in the end times. A lot of people were interested. Tim LaHaye had come out with a, a series of novels called Left Behind and and there was a lot of interest. Today now I find that churches aren't teaching at it as, as much. And I, I think there's a couple reasons why this is happening. One, it is complicated. It is kind of hard. It is a little bit controversial, if you will. And with the Internet anymore, you know, you can find, you know, thousands of theories about any doctrine, by the way, mm-hmm. not just the end times, which we call eschatology, the study of end times. But um, so we're going to try to stick to, you know, the, some simple scriptures at a high level and try to describe as best as possible what is God's plan for the end of the age? The, this age is going to come to an end, and uh, God has a plan. And I remember when I was first studying this, I used to come home, and it's like to my wife, and I said, God's telling us the future. And it's like, why isn't this stuff on 60 Minutes or 2020 <laughs> or something? You know, it's like he's telling us what's going to happen. So, But here, why, why do we study the end times? Well, I think there's a, a n- number of reasons. I think first and foremost— it is a study of our hope. So Paul actually says to the Thessalonians, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. But we, as Christians, do have a hope. We have an inheritance. God has told us about our future, our eternal life, if you will, and uh, has given us a bunch of clues about what it's going to be like. Um, now, that word hope, by the way, the world's hope is is a sense of like I, I would say I hope the Vikings win, right? I don't know if they're going to win or not, but I hope for this positive outcome with an uncertainty about whether or not it's going to happen or not. That is actually not biblical hope. Biblical hope, as described, say, in, in Hebrews 11, 1 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of things unseen. The Greek word for that word hope there is elpizo, and it means to trust with full confidence. So we can have full confidence 
that what God says is going to happen to us as believers, our future, um, is going to happen. Because when we look at past prophecies, God is batting a thousand when it comes to predicting the future. Amen? Amen. So if we can see in the past that he has told about people and places and events and things that have all come true exactly as he says it was going to happen, we can trust him that the things that are going to happen future yet will happen. So Ephesians 1 says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of the saint. Our future is secure because it's been set by God, and that's true biblical hope. Another reason we study the end times is that God says we shouldn't be surprised when this day comes. Uh, Thessalonians says that this day will come and it won't surprise us, that this day should surprise you like a thief. And it's interesting because some want to take that truth, that we won't be surprised by the end times, and say we can know when it's going to happen. But I don't think we can set dates. There'll be no, I never set dates or try to set dates in any of my classes. Uh, There have been a lot of people who have tried to do that. Um, There was a book written, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Happen in 1988. Right? It sold millions of copies. And then, of course, the rapture didn't come in 1988. He reissued the book the next year, 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Would Happen in 1989. Didn't quite sell as many copies, but mm-hmm. he was wrong. If you remember Y2K, oh, there yeah. was people predicting the end times there. Uh, Harold Camping, a, a pastor, predicted the end would come in 1994 and then again in 2011. Um, millions of people, millions of dollars were sent to him to proclaim this message. You know, if he was missed it the first time, we should have learned the second time. Uh, 2012, a lot of people were saying that this Mayan calendar was predicting the end of days. The blood moons, do you remember the blood moons? Mm-hmm. There was four blood moons back in uh, 2014 and 15, and somehow people were taking that as a sign that the end would come. Uh, the, these Revelation 12 signs, there's there's a website called Rapture Ready. They have a list. It's dozens and dozens of items long of people who've tried to predict when the end is going to come. Um, So when he says this day won't surprise us, it's not going to surprise us, not because we know when it's going to come, but because he's told us that it is going to come. It's a future event that is going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So we know that one day the trump will sound and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and we'll be caught up together with him in the clouds. Won't there be lightning that will strike from east to west? Uh, Yeah, so in Matthew 24 it says, At his second coming, just as lightning in the east is visible from the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. So when he comes at his second coming, there will be no mistaking that it's Jesus coming back. Um, what else? We will not be in darkness, brothers, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So we know that it's coming. Another reason why we study the end times is God says that uh, there is a crown of righteousness for us and all those who long for his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? Yes. I, <laughs> good answer. Yes, I, do. I think that's one of these uh, barometers for faith, mm-hmm. if you will. If you can really say, yes, Lord, today would be a really good day for that trump to sound, then I think that's a barometer of where you're at. If you're kind of saying, oh, no, I got plans, I got, a, mm, I got things to no. do, I got, you know. Um, I, but at the same time, I think if you're a defeatist and say, I give up, Lord, just come, I don't know if that's healthy also, no, right? just the glory of him coming is Absolutely. just overwhelming to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's going to be 
remember, of all this stuff that we're going to talk about in the next hour, uh, Paul says to the Corinthians, the eye has not seen, nor has the ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the wonders that God has in store for us. This is an incredible time. We have an inheritance that we can't even fathom. Um, Revelation says, another reason why we study the end times is Revelation says there is a blessing for those who read the words that are in this book and heed the words that are written in it. Um, I do in my class, I actually have a list that I, or a journal that I have my class start taking when we start studying the end times. Say, write down how you've been blessed during this study. And the last class, we always go back to that list and I let students share what they have learned or how they've been blessed during this study. And then, of course, the main reason is to know him more. Look, I love charts. I love charting this out. But people say, well, if we're not even going to be here, why do I need to know all this stuff? Well, when we study God's plan, we get to know the planner that much more. Mm, I love it. And if we're going to trust somebody, live by faith, the more we know that person, the more we can trust that person. So those are the reasons why we, I think it's valuable and beneficial for the believer to study the end time. It also, I think, you know, we're to live with eternity in mind. I think a lot of believers... Think of eternity like you're sitting on a cloud floating and playing a harp, and that's about the extent of their... Does that excite you for all of eternity? No, No, me either. There's a literal kingdom coming, a tangible, physical, literal kingdom that we will dwell in. We'll be able to sit and talk and eat and walk and do all the things we like to do right now. We'll be able to do that for all of eternity. And so don't think of it just as kind of floating around someplace. In fact, most Christians believe that we spend eternity in heaven, as we'll see at the end of this hour. It's actually heaven that spends eternity on earth. Heaven and earth, the new heaven and earth, new earth come together. And so we'll describe that literal new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem when we get back. Um, hey, a couple thoughts on prophecy, though, before we get into this. We know that God is, like I said, batting a thousand about telling the future. Um, and we know that Second Peter 1 says this, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. So we know from God's Word that all these future things are from God. They're, they are God prophecies. Um, about a third of the Bible is prophetic. Like I said, the end times is all over the Bible. So if you're going to create an understanding of eschatology, the study of end times, you literally have to study all the books of the Bible because there are pieces to this puzzle in virtually every book. And that's how I like to describe studying the end times. It's like a puzzle. And you know what? There is no picture on the cover of the box, right, to help us out. So it takes time. Um, but uh, but God wants to teach you by his spirit and uh, through his word. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I think we'll take a short pause. When we come back, we'll continue our study of end times with Jeff Verdorn. We'll be right back. Jeff Verdorn's theme song. How convenient, because he's here in the studio. I'd say things are working out pretty good for me today. 
We're talking about End Times with Jeff Redorance. Jeff, let's, re- let's get right away to the overview of End Times. Well, I know that there's lots of theories and lots of ideas. And so when you put the piece together, though, all the pieces have to fit together. And I think this overview that I'm about to do here ha- takes into account all the appropriate passages and fits the puzzle together. So it's this. So the next event on God's prophetic clock here, this kind of the start of the end of end of times, is the rapture of the church. At an unannounced time, the trump will sound in heaven, and uh, we will read a couple of the rapture verses here in just a minute, uh, but we will be caught up in the air, and there we'll be with the Lord forever. After the rapture of the church, it, a seven-year tribulation period will begin. Uh, this is more more precisely known as Daniel's 70th seven of judgment that is coming upon Israel. This is a judgment that God gave to Israel way back in Daniel 9, and almost all of that judgment has already occurred leading up to the first coming of Christ, but there's seven more years of judgment to come on Israel. So a lot of people will call this time of seven years of trouble, of trial, tribulation coming on the earth, Daniel's 70th seven or 70th week. And that's a seven-year period. And we'll talk about some of the characters and the events that go on in that period in just a second. At the end of the seven-year period is the second coming of Christ. That is when he comes back to earth and uh, to establish what? His millennial kingdom, a kingdom that's on earth And the Bible says that kingdom will last 1,000 years, and Jesus will rule on earth uh, from Jerusalem for that period of time. At the end of that 1,000-year period, there's another rebellion. We'll talk about that in a second. There's another rebellion. That rebellion is squashed, uh, just like when he comes at the second coming. He treads the winepress of the wrath of God, Armageddon, that battle that we all know. Uh, he, we have to, he has to do that again at the end of the thousand-year reign, basically. And then there's this thing called the Great White Throne Judgment. That's Judgment Day. That is Judgment Day for all of the lost from the beginning of mankind until that very day. And uh, we'll look at that in a minute. And then there's this thing called the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem and that is our eternal home. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, we'll talk about that in a minute, but we only have about a chapter in all of Scripture to describe that. So God actually doesn't give us that much about that eternal state. Mm-hmm. Jeff, out of respect for the listeners who are not necessarily agreeing with how you've laid this out, what would we say to them? Well, I guess the, you know, I've been teaching this for a long time, and there are um, there are viewpoints where I think certain passages or understandings um, just haven't been accounted for completely on some of these uh, understandings. For example, we'll give one, the timing of the rapture. A lot of people will agree that that these things are future and that it generally lays out the same way, but they have a different timing of the rapture. And I get those, you know, there's some that believe that rapture comes pre-tribulational, mm-hmm. so pre-trib, mm-hmm. mid-trib or pre-wrath or post-trib or so mm-hmm. on. Interestingly, I'll just give you one example. The Bible says that Jesus is going to return at the rapture like a thief in the night, right? He's coming unexpected. There's this imminency to the the rapture of the church. We just can't know when it's going to happen. If the rapture was to happen at any point in time during that seven-year period, I've actually got a lot of detail about the sequence of events in that seven-year period. I could then know when the rapture was going to happen. 
You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, I know that the Antichrist is going to set up an abomination that causes desolation at the midpoint of the tribulation. If I believe that's when the rapture was, then I'd be looking for the abomination, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And then when that happened, I knew the I know the rapture would be at hand. If I'm a post-tribber, I'd look for the abomination, and then I'd count off three and a half years because Jesus is going to return at the end of that seven-year period, which is three and a half years after the abomination. So that's one little piece of the puzzle that you have to consider when evaluating any of these. The main thing I'm going to say is that you can scan the Internet and be convinced of a multitude of different theories, but I'm a firm believer that every Christian should know what they believe and why they believe it from Scripture. So I ask my classes, set your commentaries aside, set don't go on the Internet, Let's just let Scripture be our guide, and we'll, let's look at all the relevant passages, and you put them together in your own mind and see how they best fit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Appreciate that. Because mm-hmm. I think the body of Christ will, will all agree, yes, there will be a rapture. Um, not all the body of okay. Christ. <laughs> all right. I want to get back on track then. Yeah. Well, just I'm not really being quick. helpful. That's there so are, like me. There are some uh, <laughs> in the church that believe that all of these events that I teach as future— are not future, but are past. Okay. okay? Oh, good point. Yeah, so good there point. are some who that. are, those are called preterists. So preterists, the preterists yes. believe that all of this stuff is past. It's all been fulfilled. It's all kind of symbolic. And it was fulfilled mostly in and around 66 to 70 AD. I am a futurist. I believe all these events have not come upon the world yet. Okay. Um, and so are yet future. All right. So what about the rapture? Let's delve into the rapture a little bit. So there's a couple of passages on this thing called the rapture that some do, they don't think there is such a thing as the rapture. Well, let's read it. The first is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse um, 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. That's believers who have died, right? Or grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, those who have died with him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ, those who are in heaven, they will rise first. They will receive their glorified bodies first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left, that's us here on earth, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. First, notice that this rapture is a source of encouragement to the church. Mm-hmm. We should be looking forward to this day, right? Yeah. Not looking forward to a tribulation period and the Antichrist and so on. No, we're looking for a Christ from heaven who's going to take us up and meet us in the air. Note also that when he says we are caught up, that is where we get the term the rapture. Okay? So people say, well, the rapture, the word rapture isn't even in the Bible. Well, actually, it, it, it isn't, but it is. English, it says caught up. In the Greek, it's harpazo, which means to be caught up or the snatching away. In Latin, it's the Latin word rapturo. It's where we get the theological term, the rapture. Mm -hmm. So call it the rapture, call it the harpazo, call it the great catching up. Uh, It doesn't really matter. That's just a name. The event we just read in 1 Thessalonians 4. 
So notice we're on earth. Christ is in heaven. The dead in Christ are in heaven. They receive their glorified bodies, and then we rise up to meet them in the air. Okay, contrast that with the second coming, which we'll do in just a minute. Um, One of the other key passages for the rapture is from 1 Corinthians 15, which is the great resurrection chapter. It's all about our resurrected body. Do you know that the body that you live in right now, Paul and actually Peter, call it an earth tent. Mm -hmm. You live in a temporary dwelling. Mm -hmm. You have a permanent dwelling awaiting for you, and that's your glorified body. And 1 Corinthians 15 spends a lot of time talking about this glorified body. And here is when you get it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That means we will not all die. But we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trump will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. We just read that in 1 Thessalonians 4, right? Mm -hmm. And we, those who are alive and remain, will be changed For the perishable, this earthly body, must clothe itself with the imperishable, our glorified body, and mortality with immortality. When the perishable has clothed itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, O death has been swallowed up in victory. I love it. That is our resurrection Mm day. And those two... Passages are describing the same event, the rapture of the church. So what's the sequence? From these two passages, we see that the trump will sound, the dead in Christ, those who are in heaven. And by the way, we know the dead in Christ are in heaven. Paul has declared it. He says, absent from the body at home with the Lord, right? Mm -hmm. So if you know someone who is a believer in Christ Jesus and they've passed away, we know they are in heaven. So their resurrection is from heaven. They receive their glorified bodies then we who are alive and remain will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That's what happens in the twinkling of an eye, by the way. Our Our new bodies. Love it. So we receive our glorified bodies and not die, right? That's why I want to be raptured, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die to get there, right? I want to be raptured up to heaven. And uh, and then we are caught up to, to the clouds where we will meet them, and there we will be with the Lord forever. There's the rapture from those mm-hmm. two passages. There's actually 30 different passages about the rapture throughout the New Testament. And to create a full picture, you have to go through them all. But those are the two main ones. So, so you spend all this time working your abs, and then in the twinkling of an eye, you have a glorified body. <laughs> this... <laughs> well, that's what I'm Paul... looking forward to. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Paul right. says that physical activity is of some value, right? Oh, but course. spiritual uh, activity is... All right, we'll take course. a little break. When we come back, more on End Times with Jeff Redorn. Um We're going to be uh, right back, but I I want to encourage you to uh, go to 877-933-2484 and send Rebecca a text. It's her birthday. Be right back. On Faith Radio.
Welcome back to the show. We're talking to Jeff Verdorn. Last time Jeff was here in the studio, were you a grandfather at that point? Um, no. Yeah, so congratulations. Thank you very much. My friend. I'm a new grandfather. Being a grandpa. I cannot believe it. It's just, I, it seems like I just I can. You showed kids. me pictures. I, I just did show you pictures. <laughs> and he is cute. He's got to be the cutest baby. Oh, yeah, that, here no. we go. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the picture. He is actually the cutest baby. Yeah. Okay. All right. Where did we leave off? We uh, were just talking about the rapture. So there's yes. an event coming when the trump sounds and the church will be caught up into the air with the Lord and there will be with the Lord forever. And then what is next? So what is unleashed over the next seven years? Tribulation. Tribulation. This is, um, so Daniel gave us a glimpse of this back in Daniel 9. Uh, Matthew 24 describes uh, some of the events leading up uh, that describe the tribulation and leading up to the second coming of Christ. And then, of course, the book of Revelation has uh, significantly more detail about some of the events and characters uh, of the end times or of the tribulation period. So generally speaking, this seven-year period is broken into a first half. And in that first half, we'll, we'll talk about and mention some of the characters. So uh, a couple of the first characters are two witnesses. There are two witnesses. They're supernatural witnesses that God says they actually come down from heaven and they are proclaiming the kingdom of God in Jerusalem, and no one can touch them. Remember, there's no believers left on the earth, right? Mm -hmm. So when there's no believers left on the earth, the salt and the light of this world is gone. The world is literally going to go to hell, right? Right. And if you're out, you know, two guys preaching the kingdom of God, do you think they're going to be liked or disliked by the world? Right? They're going to try to get them. But it says no one can harm them. And for the first half of the tribulation, they are going to proclaim the kingdom of God. God also seals uh, 144,000, I like to call them super evangelists. They hold to the testimony of Jesus. And God tells us where these come from. They're 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And he seals them. They believe. They're saved. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And they are out proclaiming the kingdom of of God. Um, one of the things that there's the next, this next group is a great multitude. And it says in Revelation chapter 7 that this great multitude has come out of the great tribulation and are now in heaven. Well, what does that mean? It means that there are many, many people, more than you can even count, right? A great multitude that believed during the tribulation and were killed either by the evil forces or the plagues or the trumpet judgment or, you know, whatever. They died somehow during this period, and they're now up in heaven. Why is that important? Is because I think one of the great purposes of this tribulation period is for people to get saved. Remember, God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. Some will proclaim or try to teach that there is no second chances, and once this tribulation period starts, no one can believe that the only thing that happens is God pouring out his wrath for seven years. Well, Revelation 7, I think, contradicts that. It says there's a great multitude that came out of the great tribulation from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. They were saved. There's an old adage, there's no atheists in a foxhole, right? Mm -hmm. When things get tough people do tend to turn to God, right? And so that's the great multitude in heaven. Um, 
And then, of course, the Antichrist comes on the scene. And the Antichrist, uh, who actually starts this seven-year period by the confirming this covenant with many for one seven, for one seven-year period of time, and uh, he's in cahoots with this other character of Revelation. In Revelation 17, it describes this harlot, this mystery Babylon, this woman who rides the beast. And these two characters are riding together, uh, gaining power and authority until the midpoint of the tribulation. Okay, so the first three and a half years have occurred. By the way, I think just about all of the trumpet judgments in the book of Revelation occur in that first half of of the seven-year tribulation period. Now we're at the midpoint. So what important happens at the midpoint? Well, it says that this Antichrist gets tired of this woman, destroys her. He sets himself up, this Antichrist, in the temple of God, declaring himself to be God, and it says he sets up an abomination that causes desolation in the temple of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means, number one, there needs to be a temple standing again by the midpoint of the tribulation. You see that? Because he's got to set up this abomination. And two, this Antichrist is now at this moment indwelt by Satan. Satan gives him his power, and he begins to reign for the second half of the tribulation. Absolutely. Satan's been wanting to rule the earth and run the earth with his person. There he is. He's indwelt the Antichrist, and he's now ruling with absolute authority. But you know what he's ruling over? The second half of the tribulation, which is basically God pouring out his wrath on an unbelieving world. Hmm. All the bold judgments of the book of Revelation come in the second half of the tribulation. So Satan finally rules, but he's ruling over God pouring out his wrath on this earth. But, but this Antichrist does a couple things. He kills the two witnesses. All 144,000 are beheaded because of uh, their testimony for Jesus. And the other thing he does, he goes after Israel. And in Matthew 24, it says that Israel has to flee out of Israel into the wilderness where God has to supernaturally protect them for that three-and-a-half-year period. So, and... The Bible says in Matthew 24, at that, from after the midpoint when the abomination is set up and Israel flees from this Antichrist person, that there will be a great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. That is going to be the worst period of time in all mankind's history, and that's the second half of this tribulation period. The second half is also the time when the Antichrist sets up this mark of the beast. You remember the mark of the beast, which is the number of his name, and that number is 666. Mm -hmm. And so we don't really know what form or shape this is going to come. Um, Prophecy scholars decades ago thought it was going to be in the form of a barcode for some specific reason. So the barcode would be imprinted on your hand or on your forehead. Uh, Later, when biochips came out, people thought that it would be biochips. Now there's actually people teaching that it's going to be uh, given, the mark of the beast is going to be given through some kind of vaccine, Mm. and there's luminescent crystals that can be injected with these vaccines, and some people are all worried about that. Church, we are not going to be here during the tribulation period. So, church, we have no fear and no risk— Right? Of, of any of this. Of bumping into the Antichrist someday, 
or receiving the mark of the beast. All right? Now, in my class that I teach on this, we go into great details of why this is true. On, on this program, I, I can just declare it. We have nothing to fear from the end times. In fact, whenever I start teaching on the end times, I usually ask for expectations. And somebody always asks the question, what would you say to someone who says they're fearful of the end times? My answer is always the same. Then they don't understand the end times. Because if we are a believer, it is our hope. Right. Right? We are not appointed to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. So we're going to be raptured. That's another reason why I believe the the rapture is pre-tribulational, that we're going to be out of here. And I say we're going to be up in heaven watching from the bleacher seats when all this stuff unfolds. Um. So that's the bold judgments in the second half. And then finally, at the end of this seven-year period, in Matthew 24, it describes it this way. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the skies, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken, and then they will, then there will appear a sign in heaven of the Son of Man, and then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You know that song, Behold He Comes Riding on the Clouds? That's what's happening right there. Revelation 19 says it this way, and I love to read this passage because it's such a powerful passage. At the end of this seven-year period, John in Revelation 19, sees, seeing his vision, he sees this. And then I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With judge, justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head is many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Who is that? That's Christ, of course. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Who's that? That's us. We're the armies of heaven riding on white horses. Did you know you get your own white horse? Oh, yeah. I knew you, I got my yeah, own white horse. Yeah. What's your horse's name? I haven't named it yet. You haven't named it yet? Yeah. yeah. I have. What's yours? White Thunder. I like. Yeah, you like that? Oh, I like that name. All right. Coming out, <laughs> coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the second coming. That's Christ's coming. And it says in the Bible that he will set his feet on the Mount of Olives, Zechariah 14 says. He will go through the eastern gate of Jerusalem, which, by the way, has been sealed up for 1,400 years. And in fact, Ezekiel prophesizes that, uh, that this gate would be uh, sealed up and not reopened until the Messiah comes through it. And if you go to Jerusalem today and look at the Temple Mount area, the eastern gate as part of the Temple Mount is still sealed up to this day. Uh, cool, huh? Um, he, then, uh, he then saves a remnant of Israel. We actually spent two weeks in my end times class on, on, on Israel, and you have to understand that God promised Abraham a long time ago that he and his descendants after him would never cease to be a nation before him and would possess the land of Israel forever. That promise passed on to Isaac, and that promise passed on to Jacob, who became Israel, 
And therefore, when Paul says in Romans 11 that all Israel will be saved, that's exactly what he's talking about. They will look upon him whom they have pierced, and they will finally, Israel will finally, the nation of Israel I'm talking about, because many individual Jews will be saved today, next week, next month, next year, during the tribulation, and on, so on. Uh, but the nation of Israel, actually the remnant of the nation of Israel, will look upon Jesus when he returned, and they will enter into the kingdom that was prepared for him, which is the next thing that comes upon our timeline. So that's Israel. The other thing he does when he returns, if you remember the sheep and the goat judgment mm-hmm. of, uh, of uh, Matthew 25, mm-hmm. and it says he gathers the nations, the Gentile nations before him, and he separates them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He puts the sheep on the right, and he puts the goats on the left. The sheep enter into the kingdom, and the goats go away, basically where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Well, the sheep enter into the kingdom. And there are some who say, because they've done to the least of these them bro- their brothers, that they were able to enter the kingdom of heaven by what they did. Can we get into the kingdom of God by our works, by what we do? No. No, we can't. And the key is that, that the sheep are called righteous so the only way to achieve righteousness biblically is through faith. So mm-hmm. we know the sheep are actually born-again believers that lived through the tribulation period and are now going to enter into this kingdom. Jeff, what about the, the remnant of Israel? Are they born-again believers? Yeah, so they will recognize that's the only way you can get into this kingdom. Mm-hmm. And remember, God, uh, there's, there's several places in the Old Testament that I believe describe this remnant, and that there will be a remnant uh, that is saved when he returns. Uh, But it's based on the promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, I believe, when God starts this covenant with Abraham and says that Israel will always possess this land. And so God, not going ever going back on his word, is going to fulfill his promise and save a remnant of Israel, the nation of Israel, and they will enter into the to the kingdom. So yes, they will finally recognize their Messiah, believe, be saved, and enter into the millennial kingdom. Okay. I'm glad you said that. All right, we'll take a little break. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're going to continue our study of end times. Be right back. to the end of our discussion on end times. Not enough time, but Jeff Redorn, my guest, has been covering it from about 30,000 feet, and we're pretty much walked this up right to the place of the millennial reign, Jeff. So there is a future kingdom. Once Jesus returns to earth, he is going to establish his kingdom on earth. And uh, for the Bible says for a thousand years. The first thing that happens in that kingdom is what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is going to be a great feast. I was just reading in my men's group this this morning, actually, and we were studying Isaiah 25, and it says this, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. Mm. So that's 
the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the first thing that he does when he establishes his kingdom is uh, is we have a feast to kick it off. So Sounds good to th- me. Yes. And, but this kingdom is on earth. Uh, this is declared all over Scripture. In the psalm, it says it's on his holy hill. In Isaiah, it says it's in Jerusalem. In Joel, it says it's in Zion. In Micah, it says it's in Jerusalem. Uh, Zechariah says the nations will go up to Jerusalem to worship him, and he is from sea to sea over the ends of the earth. This is, by the way, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. This is the kingdom that is described so often in the Old Testament. That's why the Jews, the Israel, those in, in, when Jesus came, kept asking him, Jesus, are you going to establish your kingdom now? And uh, they just didn't understand that he needed to come first as a ser- suffering servant to die for the sins of the world. He's coming back one day as the King of kings and Lord of lords to establish his kingdom on earth. You know what else about this kingdom that's cool? We get to reign with him. We reign with him. Remember now, we are in our glorified bodies. And it says, for example, in 2 Timothy 2, that we will reign with him. Romans 8 says we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ. Revelation 5 says that we've been made into a kingdom and priests to serve God, and they will reign on earth. Um, So the Bible is very clear that part of our inheritance is we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Now, a lot of people will ask, well, what does this kingdom look like? What are some of its characteristics when Jesus comes? Well, we have, like I said, a number of passages. For example, Isaiah says that men will beat their weapons into plowshares and there will be peace on earth. Is there peace on earth yet? No. There isn't. Open up the newspaper. Some believe that we are in this kingdom right now, but it right now does not match any of the descriptions for this future kingdom that's coming upon the world. And that's just one of them. Another passage in Isaiah talks about the animal kingdom, and it says this, the wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them all. Is that happening right now? Can a little child go and lead a wolf and a leopard? And the answer is no. Isaiah 65 seems to indicate that lifespans will increase. And so we see God, and and by the way, Satan, when Jesus returns, that's one of the things that he does when he returns, is he binds Satan up for a thousand years. So Satan will not be tempting people and causing his destruction. Wow. He's not roaming the earth to kill and maim and destroy and steal. Um, and so this is going to be time. Now, we're not to the eternal state yet. The curse hasn't been fully lifted. Uh, there's still going to be rebellion. And t- imagine this. Even with Christ ruling from Jerusalem in a perfect kingdom, how many of you want a perfect, righteous judge as your government, right? Please. We, <laughs> we have such faulty governments in this world mm-hmm. right now, don't we? Mm-hmm. But one day we're going to have the perfect government in the person of Jesus Christ. So it'll be a time of peace. The animal kingdom will change, be much more like it was in the Garden of Eden. Israel will dwell in their land peacefully and securely, and Satan is bound. But guess what? Even with all that going on, 
God says he releases Satan for a short time at the end, and there will be people born during this millennial reign who never accept Christ as their personal Savior. They never believe and are saved. And Scripture says that Satan is going to lead them like the numbers. They're like the sand of the seas. There's a great multitude that are going to surround Jerusalem and say, we're going to take over this kingdom. And it says in Scripture, the breath of God came down and devoured them. and They were gone. Right? And that's the end of this thousand-year millennial kingdom. What happens next is judgment day. That is when the Bible says that heaven and earth flee from God's presence. Heaven and earth today are separate, right? We've got this physical earth, we're on it, we have heaven up here, and they're separate. And God says that heaven and earth flee from his presence. He's going to make them new is what he's going to do. We'll get to that in just a second. But then there's this great white throne judgment. John saw this day like this, Revelation 20. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, the lost people from all time, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were open and another book was open, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what had been written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's judgment day. Mm -hmm. You know what verse comes right after this? It's the verse where it says, and then he wipes every tear from our eye. Some people say there's no crying in heaven, but we will be crying on this day. Do you think this day... When most of mankind goes through the broad road to destruction that Jesus talked about, and many go through it, do you think God's heart is going to break that day? Mm-hmm. It is. And he wanted, because he wanted all of them to believe and be saved. And so I think our hearts are going to be breaking on that day. Might we know people who are on that broad road to destruction that we're aware of are going into that eternal punishment? Yeah. If you have family members or friends so there that you know. There will be tears to wipe. Yeah. If they're not saved, we will watch them be thrown into the lake of fire and the second wow. death. And so it's going to be a very sad day. That's when God says that he wipes every tear from our eye because it's going to be a heartbreaking day. But here's the good news. The good news is then he makes all things new. Heaven and earth come together. He makes a new heaven and new earth and heaven and earth come together. This is then also the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven. This is the streets of gold and the pearly gates and the tree of life and the river of life and the throne of God all there. And it says this. He says in Revelation 21, I am making everything new. There'll be no more death, no more pain, no more crying, no more disease or sickness or mosquitoes. Nice. I just threw that one in, by the yeah. way. And it says that um, I love this. And then John says he didn't see a temple in this new Jerusalem. And you go, wait a minute. We've always had a temple. That's how we commune with God. That's how we tabernacle with God. But you know what's really cool? Because John says this, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, And then the dwelling of God is with men, and he will be with them forever and ever. Heaven and earth come together, and God will dwell with us for all of eternity. He hasn't dwelled with man since the very beginning, the very garden when Adam walked with God. Remember in the Mm -hmm. cool of the evening? And now, once again, at the end of the book, for all of eternity, God is once again with man, dwelling with us. And that is our eternal state. Mm, Spectacular. Jeff, this has been wonderful. I think what I'm going to do is maybe you can come back for an hour and we can talk about the rapture. I think that's probably the most controversial piece in this uh, end times discussion. And I bet listeners would like to uh, ask questions as well. Sure, there's a, a number of reasons that we could get into of why the rapture needs to happen prior to the tribulation that we could get into in that hour that we didn't have time to, to do. Why don't we do, do that? Yeah. Why don't we do that? I know how to get you booked on the show. Perfect. And I'm going to go ahead and execute that. So Happy birthday, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's always a good day when we get to go through the Bible with you. So that that's a good gift. It's the truth. I always enjoy it, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jeff Verdorn has been my guest. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you uh, for joining me today. I hope you have uh, learned a lot. I know I have. I'm going to go through this message uh, again because i got to have my notebook out and take notes because this is wonderful teaching. If you missed any of it, you can always head to MyFaithRadio.com. Go to the show page and check it out. I'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.